Well, good morning, Heartland. Good morning, whether you're here or online, whether you're in your PJs or all dressed up, it is truly great to be together. Well, you may have heard the story before about the little boy who was so excited to play with his daddy that he was constantly barraging his mother all day with the same question. Mommy, when's daddy coming home? And his mother would answer the same question the same way every time. Well, dad comes home at 5 p.m. Well, he asked the question at 9 o'clock and 9.15, again at 9.30, then at 10.42, at 1.15, at 2.32. Anyone relate to this story? Mommy, when is daddy coming home? And as mother, as good parents often do, she did her best to, to be patient and, and kind, and she was, by God's grace, largely successful. But as you can imagine, at the end of the day, both mother and son were in a total state of exasperation when the clock finally struck five. And when it did, the little boy ran to his front door to the, and was looking out to see his father come into the driveway. And before his dad could even open the door and step across the threshold, before he could say, honey, I'm home, the little boy said, daddy, daddy, let's go play, daddy. I've been waiting all day, daddy. Let's go play. Well, his father loved his son and his working parents often are. He was so tired at the end of a long day that all he wanted to do was to sit in his easy chair and read the paper. But his son is just pulling on his, on his shirt, Daddy, Daddy, let's go play, Daddy. I've been waiting all day, Daddy. Let's go play. Well, so his father did the only thing he knew to do. He plopped down on the easy chair, grabbed his paper, and pleaded with his son, Give me five minutes, son, please, just five minutes, then I'll play with you. And so the little boy went away, and five minutes on the dot, he showed up again. Daddy, Daddy, let's go play, Daddy. I've been waiting all day, Daddy. Let's go play. Well, the father knew he couldn't delay his child any, any longer, but he did have a plan. And so he ripped out a page from the newspaper. It was a full-page advertisement that had a picture of the world. And he offered it to his son as a challenge. He took the picture, he ripped it into about 30 different pieces and said, this is a puzzle of the world. When you fit the pieces of this puzzle together, then I'll play with you. Well, his son was excited about that opportunity, so he went away and the father felt a little bad about his trick, but not so bad that he didn't feel better about having a little extra time. But he was shocked when in less than five minutes' time, his son came back with this full picture of the world all taped together. And he was utterly amazed. It was as if, like, he's raising this prodigy that he didn't know about. And he said, son, that, that's amazing. I mean, I didn't know you knew about the world. I didn't know you knew where Africa and Antarctica and Australia were in relation to one another. Like, how'd you do that? And his son answered, well, you see, Daddy, on the back of this picture of the world, there was a man. And when I put the man together, the pieces of the puzzle began to fall into place too. It's a fun story, isn't it, that contains a very poignant truth. In the back of the picture of the world, there is a man. And when we begin to put the picture of the man together, the world can fall into place too. 
I don't know about you, but when I look at the world, I see a world that's in so much need of being put back together. I'm often discouraged because it just seems the pieces don't seem to fit. I see a world of factioning and infighting, of falsehoods and false hopes, all vying for my attention and allegiance that seems to me to be threatening to pull us apart at the seams. Are you with me? And if I'm honest, at my worst moments, that leaves me feeling a sense of helplessness and hopelessness and being utterly alone. But here's the point, and it's on this that I fix my hope that behind the picture of our world, there's a man. And when we can piece together a picture, the picture of Jesus, the world can come into place too. So we're in the beginning of this series called New Thing, a Heartland Manifesto, and we believe this to be a very important series coming at a most critical time in our lives individually and collectively. It's a time where we have the opportunity to share and declare what we believe God is up to in our midst, that we can take time to remind ourselves who we are, why we're here, where we're going. And it's also time to issue a call to you and to me towards the privilege, opportunity, and responsibility you and I have in joining God's work and the new thing he wants to do in our lives, in our church, in our city, and in the world. And so from the get-go, before we talk about all those really important things like vision and mission and strategy and, and other important things like that, we wanna start at the beginning. We wanna go to our roots. We wanna talk about our story, but most specifically, we wanna focus on what I believe is the irreducible heart of Heartland. Craig talked about it up front. My story has hinted at it. At the end of the day, we believe that if we can get past the fracturing and fragmentation of our world, and if we can fix our eyes on Jesus, then maybe the world and our lives and our church and our families and our community will come together too. You see, there's nothing novel about the way we articulate what God is doing around here. It comes straight from the pages of scripture because that's the picture that's painted throughout the tapestry that is our Bibles. That there's a good, loving, benevolent Father God who set the world and human history and all of creation in motion. And although our lived experience is so often so far from our maker's grand design, the fact remains that God has a plan, that he's steadfast in his purposes, that he has a compelling, primary, and permanent reason that you and I can fix our hope. What is that? Well, behind God's picture of the world, there is a man. His name is Jesus. He is called the Christ and according to our Father's grand design, once we fix our eyes on Jesus, the picture of the world can come together too. So there are so many places where this theme happens in our scriptures, but today I wanna to take us to Colossians chapter one as the Apostle Paul goes on this holy rant about what he calls the supremacy of Christ, starting in verse 15. Jesus Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. 
For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we cannot see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. Jesus is first in everything. What does that mean? What does it mean to make Jesus first in everything? Well, well I did my studying this week and I, I went to the scriptures and I, I looked in all these resources and I did my due diligence. I even went back to the Greek, which drives my wife crazy. She's like, why do you go back to like those old languages? Nobody cares other than you. And she's right. But this one was really significant because you know what I found when I saw what the original text meant about Jesus being first was? meant this, Jesus is first. First in priority. First in authority. Jesus is the focal point and the fulfillment of God's plans. He's the first and final authority on all matters in which he speaks. Jesus is first and foremost. He's the one that holds everything together. Jesus is the one in whom God has made first place. Jesus is first, but not just first in those things. Jesus is first in everything. Well, I wondered what everything meant, and shocker here, it means everything. Every single thing, period. Jesus is first in everything. Well, wait, you may be asking, what does that mean? Like, was Jesus first in existence and in the world and in creation? Yep. We're told clearly that Jesus was there in the beginning. In fact, we're told that Jesus was the one of whom the, the world was spoken into its very existence. That's why the scripture here in Colossians says everything was made through him and for him. That's why in him we're told that we live and move and exist. Jesus is first in everything. Well, what about the world we live in and the government and, and countries and the worldly powers? It certainly doesn't look like Jesus is first. Does it really mean that? Yep. Scripture tells us that Jesus is over all things, whether it's presidents or prime ministers, whether it's over parties or platforms, whether it's over our best intended policies or worst experienced pandemics. We're told that Jesus is over everything and over everyone, and that includes the things that we can see, that those who are elevated in power, but it also includes those things we cannot see behind the surface that, that we feel most threatened or insecure by. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is first over everything and over everyone. Well, hold on. What, what about the church? Is Jesus still first over his church today? Yep. Jesus is first over his church, which is his people. Jesus is first in his church, past, present, and future. Jesus hasn't given up on his church 
Jesus is Lord and he's sovereign of all those little, unique, beautiful expressions in our city and in our world. Jesus is Lord and first over the church that's scattered, that is tuning in remotely because of COVID. Jesus is Lord over our little, beautiful expression of his church that's called Heartland here in Olathe, Kansas. Jesus is still first over his church whom he calls his body. And as we'll talk about over the next eight weeks, that means a number of things uniquely for us, that we are to be the hands and feet of Jesus wherever the Lord has placed us, you and I individually and collectively. And so the scripture continues in Colossians 1. Since Christ is the head of the church, which is his body, he's also the beginning. He's supreme over all who rise from the dead giving us eternal hope. So he's first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ and through him God reconciled everything. It's that word again. And through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood shed on the cross. Do you see what the scriptures are saying? That Jesus is first in everything. In Jesus, the fullness of God is living fully in him. That through him, through Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection, everything is reconciled and everyone has the opportunity to hear and respond and to be part of God's grand story. It's only in Jesus that the pieces of our world begin to fall into place. Because he made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of his blood shed on the cross. Paul's getting at what it means for Jesus to be first and supreme over everything. He's getting at that new life began and is rooted in and only in Jesus. And so the new thing is only about what he can do. And he's already working that out in everything and in everyone. And finally, this passage concludes, and I'd never noticed this connection until this week where you and I are written into that story as well. It says, this includes you who were once far away from God. You and I are part of that, of God's good plan and purpose. And this is where I want to bring us to in our time today, to take that which is true intellectually and bring it true personally. And the only way I know to do that is to share how Jesus has helped uh, lead my life and cultivate that Jesus first life in me and how he's used our collective faith experience at Heartland. And so I don't often kind of write this stuff out, particularly when it's my story, but as you know, like I'm pretty long-winded talking about Jesus, so if I'm gonna talk about Jesus in me, like we don't have hours and hours. <laughs> but here's a little bit of what that's looked like for me. See, I grew up as a pastor's kid, so I've spent my whole life in and around the church 
I was raised by many, uh, around many wonderful and well-meaning Christians who seemed to me to be living very well-kempt, very put-together lives punctuated by consistent smiles that were always plastered on their faces. And I noticed how they tended to share their truth primarily through billboards and sound bites or pithy sayings or platitudes. At least that was my perspective at the time. And for a while, I tried to make that work. But there was a problem. That just didn't seem to fit for me. It didn't translate into the world I was living in. It just didn't resonate with my truth. Because at that time, as a sophomore in high school, When I first experienced Heartland, my life was an absolute wreck. See, I'd made up my life's mission at that point to be a good kid, to be an honor student, to do the right thing, to frantically scurry, to make everyone happy. And those weren't necessarily bad things, but my desire to maintain at least the image of the perfect life became for me the main thing. And the problem was, in hindsight, it wasn't just a strategy for me to please others. It was also my ploy to appease God. Everybody's story is unique and different. This is just my version. And this fragile image of that perfectly put together life for me had just come crashing down. And I've shared the story before, so I'm not going to delve into it here, but suffice it to say for me, as a 15-year-old boy, it involved uh, commandeering my parents' minivan without their permission, going to a mall and ripping off an inappropriate magazine. Now, what may seem for many to be just youthful immaturity or a small act of disobedience for me was anything but... You see, I knew what I should do. I knew the answers. I knew the choice I was making. I knew I could put Jesus first or I could choose to walk a different path. And in that moment of choice, through my actions, the way I described it then and now is it's as if I gave God the finger and turned and walked away. Again, your story isn't my story, but this is when I learned that truth that Paul talked about in Colossians, that this includes you, this includes me, Seth, who was once so far away from God. What's in that moment that I first encountered Heartland, or rather that Heartland encountered me, through my young life leader, a person, a man named Jason Cup. And through Jason and through Heartland, I experienced a different way of being and doing church than I was exposed to. And it wasn't so much that the music was killer, though it was. And it wasn't so much that there were funny stories or skits or videos, though those helped. And it wasn't even that the pastor wore like flip-flops and jeans and never tucked in his shirt. It was something radically and profoundly different for me. It was the everyday message of Jesus was not just spoken, but it was lived out by everyday people that lived their lives authentically, brokenly, but beautifully. And I was brought into that. I could see and apply to my everyday life what it looked like in practical ways to make Jesus first. What happened for me, it happened among my friends and it happened in our midst. 
I saw everyday people come, everyday people learn and laugh, everyday people come to know and love Jesus and come to experience what it looked like to live that Jesus first life in all things. Shortly thereafter, I was part of a summer internship called the LTP where I made some of my best friends then and today. I mean, we were sophomores in college. The guys lived together in like a a utility closet on the church property at the time, which we don't do now for very, very, very good reasons. And amongst our shenanigans, what we were experiencing was how to love God by loving others. Experiencing the joy of Jesus, learning how to take him seriously, but ourselves not so much. And I remember that very first day of the internship, like it was yesterday, where Glenn Kaler sat us all down. He opened his Bible. He taught us how to observe, reflect, and apply a passage of Scripture to our lives. He told us that from this day forward, if you will put Jesus first in this way, God will take care of your life. And he did. And he has. I remember a year or so later being on this ski trip where through Glenn and others, I was taught to pray, not just how to pray to God, but to pray in ways to kind of listen for the voice of God. And through the nudging of the Father's Spirit and through the invitation of Glenn at that point, I was invited into leadership. And from that day, I've been able to experience what it's like to love and learn and lead like Jesus, brokenly, imperfectly, but beautifully. It was through Heartland's family camp that I got to observe firsthand what it looked like to put Jesus first in the context of a marriage, though I was a single man at the time, what it looked like to raise a family that loved Jesus. It was there that I met Holly Welter, who would one day be my wife. It was through mentors like Tom and Sue Bronner and Greg and Diana Blesson who taught me, who taught us what it would look like to make Jesus first. I remember being with my college buddies years later, those who did that internship together, and we were talking about the beautiful, crazy thing that God had done in our midst through this place during that time. And he just put it like this. He said, the thing that made Heartland special was our way of being so irreverent in the best sense of the word. We didn't take it all too seriously, but what we did, there was such seriousness about the piety and purity of Jesus. You see what he's saying? It's that same thing we've been talking about. At the end of the day, it's all about Jesus and making Jesus first. See, what I've come to know and love and experience is the same thing that happened when this church started, when 23 men and women met in a basement off of Dearborn Street, and they had a holy passion to make Jesus first. And as they were doing that personally, there were others that needed that around them. And so they dreamed and schemed of a vision of a church for the unchurched, and Heartland was born, and everyday people came, and they listened, and they learned, and they came to know and love God, and they looked outward to bring the good news of Jesus to make him first in our city and in our world. In Heartland, we continue that today. I talked last week to Mike Farmer, who leads one of our communities, who's helping bring the good news into prisons. 
And he said the very same thing. I had followed Jesus for a while, but when I made him first, he wrecked my life in the best possible way. And he's opened up opportunities where hundreds of people are coming to know Jesus and getting a second chance at life through the prisons. It's absolutely phenomenal. We get to see it through uh, things like the harvesters, uh, food, food mobile distribution, where we're able to be the hands and feet of Jesus to our neighbors who need it and where our leaders and volunteers, folks like Brian Wright, can not only meet those needs, but see people return and pray with them and point them to, you guessed it, Jesus. It was so fun this summer to get to see and experience 24, this time high school age predominantly interns who came and had a summer where they learned to make Jesus first. Seven of those came to faith in Jesus, were baptized in the waters, and I believe 20 years from now, 40 years from now, 60 years from now, 100 years from now, they will be part of God's good work of redeeming a generation because they learned like I did as a 20-something punk kid what it was like to make Jesus first. Part of making Jesus first means things don't always stay the same because Jesus is continually conforming us individually and collectively into what he wants to do. But the invitation, the challenge from the scriptures, from us here, you and I individually and collectively today through this series into this year, will we? Follow the Spirit of God in making Jesus first. We'll talk a lot about who we are and why we're here, strategy, vision, mission, and the like, but that's who we are. That's why we're here. And where we're going, we can't wait for you to join in that journey with us of making Jesus first. Will you pray with me? Dear Lord, I thank you for how you've... Um, changed my life over and over again through your spirit and how you've used this place. Lord, we know that the new things you're doing won't look like the old things, and that can be difficult, and we trust you for your leadership and guidance in the new things that you want to be a part of. But I'm all in. We're all in to seeking you and finding you and following you, doing whatever it takes to make you first in our lives, in our families, in our community, in our church, in our city, in the world. You are first. Lead us and guide us, we pray. Amen. So there are things we want for you, or there are things we'd love to ask you to join us in through the series, but there are also things we want for you. Three things. First, to pray. Pray for your life, your people, for our church and our world. Because when the Lord wants to do something new, he starts, he gets us on our knees by praying. We want that, not just from you, but for you. Second thing, we hope you grow like never before. We hope you encounter the person of Jesus in new and fresh ways as you take courageous steps to make him first. So will you join us in prayer? Will you make steps to grow, making Jesus first in an area where he may not yet be first? And finally, we'd love to help you connect with others in community. To step into that Jesus first life isn't a solo affair, we need others. You can do that through our conversation questions. You can do that through people you're already in relationship with. You can also go to our website. We have a new and refreshed communities page 
It has all types of different ways people can connect and serve and grow. That may be a great next step for you, and we'll continue to talk about that. Talk about it and open it up as we move forward. The irreducible heart of Jesus, of the Father, is the same as that of Heartland. Beyond the picture of the world, there is a man. His name is Jesus. And when we put him first, we believe all the other things will fall into place too. You willing to go there with us? Excited for this journey. Until we meet again, I pray that God will bless you and keep you, that he will make his face to shine upon you. Pray that the Lord will be gracious to you and give you his peace. To the name of Jesus that I say go, have a great week.